Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome to the Bruce Banana FC match review where we're going to be talking about the, the Newcastle away performance which was another game where we took on the demons of last season just like uh, Spurs away earlier on in the season playing a team that had only lost one game at home all season and won their last three games with an aggregate score of 13-3. to three. Uh, They were starting with Callum Wilson that had just broken the record for the most goals in a month which was eight and you know a lot of the times I think that those kind of narratives go against Arsenal and most of the time. And so to have like kind of three of those felt like a, like a bit of a bad omen. Um, and at times the game was frantic at times. It was a bit like a basketball match. It, it definitely wasn't close to perfect, but uh, they played a bravery. Um, they got like the bravery that got us to where we are at the moment as well. It's something that we it felt like we'd kind of lost in our, in our play up until the Chelsea game. The title is obviously still in Man City's hands, but they'll have watched that. And known that we came through a really tough game with a pretty good level of performance. And they'll know now that they have to be honest, they have to be perfect, or we're going to be there. I'm joined by Ben, you can find on Twitter at Ben Browning Free. Ben, give me your thoughts on that roller coaster. Yeah, um, at no point were we in control. It could have gone either way, but at the end, we uh, we kept our heads and got the three points. It was quite um, on Arsenal like in a way. You know, I think a lot of people were more worried when we went two and up than when we were one and up. So there's always that. Um, but yeah, it felt it felt nice. It felt really, really good beating Newcastle and then having Eddie Howe come out and talk about time wasting. That felt like a proper like, you know, <laughs> shit housery moment. He his own yeah, exactly. After what happened in January, that was a, that was a proper nice nice moment. You know, where you want to just get a beer and listen to it on repeat and just oh, perfect. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we can we can kind of start the time wasting because we've kind of been bitten by time wasting, and I've always been in the camp of you do what you have to do, and kind of similar to what Eddie Howe actually said after the game it is the referee's job to to stop the time wasting. But at the same time, like some teams do, kind of take the piss. Like I think um, the the time for every goal kick against the, in the Southampton game, obviously, was really bad. But in ter- talking about Newcastle, um, their bottom of the league for delay four goal kicks, which is like. 36.8 seconds so while I can understand that they'd rather the ball be in play when they need a goal it does feel like for them to almost kind of make a point to have a go at it and have a go at the referee especially when you saw the game that we played against them in January as you were saying and then the the game that they played at Anfield where Liverpool had scored in like the last second where they time wasted for like the last 20 minutes as well it's almost like I think you just have to take this on the chin and just kind of accept that you've been played at your own game and you just haven't kind of come off the, the better in it. Yeah, I mean, it was... It, a lot of it was like sort of shithouser, you know, players squaring up to each other. Granit Xhaka, I thought, was going to lose his call on, call on about four separate occasions. Um, it was one of those games that felt like it was Arsenal growing up. You know, we were, we lost really badly there last season, not in terms of scoreline, but in terms of the pure spinelessness that our side showed. You know, even Granit Xhaka after the game came out and said, you know, if you don't have the balls to play this game, stay at home. And I think all of the team today, proved, or yesterday, proved that they really did have the balls to play that game. They stood up. Each and every one of them were counted and were excellent. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think 
one of the big presences was Jorginho, who was kind of sat there in the middle of the storm and was the calmest person on the pitch, who was first for touches, 68, assists, one, successful passes, 42, passes received from the back line, 27, possession, one, eight, and clearances, three. This is a player that I think um, when we were talking about it before, like I had a lot of reservations about Jorginho starting this game because of the physicality. And Arteta said after the game, you, you know, like they, they put Jorginho in because they didn't want to make it just a fight. They wanted to have the other element as well. Um, what did you make of Jorginho's performance? Were, were you a bit apprehensive to see him in the team sheet? Yeah, I mean, I was terrified for the whole game. I was like, oh, well, before the game, rather. Um, <laughs> we have to build it. Yeah, no, I was absolutely bricking it ahead of the game. I thought that, I think I said on this podcast before, I think St. James's Park is potentially worse than Anfield uh, for us. They have a really, really physical side and we can get bullied. Well, we have a, a history of, in the media at least, being portrayed as easily bullied, um, as we were last season. And seeing a midfield of Jorginho, Granit Xhaka and Martin Odegaard set my uh, set my pulse going a bit, I must say. I thought, I thought that it was a massive risk, but also it had a really, really nice ending you know the reward was excellent because Jorginho was three steps ahead of every Newcastle player on the pitch all the time and he never got himself into a position where he needed to use any sort of pace or physicality he always danced around those situations really elegantly so he pulled the strings from the midfield role and I think in a way that I think Thomas Partey doesn't Thomas Partey has all his own qualities but in terms of control and tempo setting it's Jorginho in this side that is really the the main guy is just he lacks all of the sort of physical attributes, I suppose. Um, and we won't talk about either of them shooting because, well. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're pretty right, to be fair. I mean, so my eyebrows are raised when we signed him on January. And, and you know, it's, it's completely understandable to be almost a bit, I don't know what the word is, just not as enthusiastic when you're linked with a lot of kind of like big players. And obviously, like Arsenal wanted. Caicedo and didn't go over the line and then Jorginho just felt like someone that was on the market at the right time but to be fair to him you know he's come up with some big performances like he hasn't been perfect but you know the performance against Villa and then now like the performance against St James's Park yesterday really kind of showed that it was a really clever signing for the situation we were in and to be fair I think now that you've seen this performance he's probably going to be in the team sheet from now until the end of the season so it's kind of down to how we rework the team now because as you were saying he has physical limitations and you know if we have to be really honest yesterday like the fact we came out of a clean sheet was probably one of the most surprising things because that game could have been 5-4 yeah it was and it was a massacre you know, at times you know we were saved by the width of the post twice we had that penalty overturned which to be fair was never a penalty clearly hits his leg um and also, then we had Ram- Ramsdale coming up with a couple of excellent saves. Same time, we, as you say, we should have scored three or four. There was the Odegaard effort. Martinelli hit the bar. Uh, Saka had a couple of one on ones. It just, it was one of those games where I looked at the XG afterwards and it was like one point four to one point four, and I thought, how on earth has that come out like that? Because you know, it should. It felt like it was a three three four three kind of game that just happened to end two 0 because we took our chances. Yeah, I think. When you go to Newcastle, especially this season, like with the level they're playing, it's a game where and Man City's like kind of saw this because I think they drew three three of them when when Man City went to St James's Park. It's not a game that even a top end world class technical team are going to be able to control the the entire game of. You're going to have to accept there's going to be ebbs and flows to it, 
And one of the things that me and Justin were talking about on the on the preview pod was there's going to be times we have to fight and there's going to be times we have to play and we have to be brave enough to be able to kind of mix it up and do both. And I thought the team did a, a really, really fantastic job at that where from the first minute it was pretty open, but we kept playing the way we were going to play and we were pretty unfazed and we created like so many chances from that. And maybe the the big turning point of the game was was the Odegaard goal and Odegaard was one of those, it was it was a proper captain's performance for me where you kind of stand up as captain where now he's, drawn with KDB for most non-penalty goals in a season by midfield, which is 15, and nine of those are away, which is, I think is a bit of a narrative that, that Odegaard doesn't show up in, in tough away games. But yesterday, I thought he was superb. And um, I think like when you see that goal, which is eerily similar to the, the goal he scored against Spurs, which is another kind of like demons of last season game, that Spurs, uh, Spurs match, where he's kind of stood up in those two big away games where we lost the top four last season, and we really wanted to make a statement and say, you know, we can go into these games this season. We're a different team. We can really kind of take them on. And he's kind of got into both, got the ball in his left foot from range and kind of blasted into the bottom corner. So I guess uh, the next thing I want to hear from you is what you made of Odegaard's performance and whether or not you agree with the narrative that he's a bit of a, a ghost in away games. I think Odegaard runs hot and cold a lot um, in terms of pulling the strings. I don't. He's not a final action midfielder. Um, in the same way that someone like Fabio Vieira could be in the future, you know, um, I think his the, the fact that he has scored 15 goals this season is incredible. Because last season, I remember we were all saying it, he's so good, but if he could just add goals and assists from midfield, because there was that period where we had like I think Jacka had about three goals and that was it from midfield, and it was just our strikers that were trying that were getting goals. We we're saying if we can get goals from midfield, it's brilliant. And game fifteen, nine away from home, as you say, um, I don't know. If it always feels to me a bit like he's not maybe he's not Granite. He's not Granite Jacker in the same way that Granite Jacker would just roll his sleeves up and get stuck in. But I think he does get a lot of unfair criticism for going missing. One, I don't think he necessarily goes missing. He's just not as effective in some games. But then he pops up with goals, you know, like he did against Newcastle from twenty-five yards, and that's clearly something they've worked on because. We've seen it. It was a carbon copy of the goal against Spurs. So it feels like we're getting him into positions to be more effective. Um, but it's it's still a work in progress. But then, you know, with with the away record we have this season, it's hard to be too critical of anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly that really, isn't it? Is that, to be fair, when we signed Odegaard and kind of seen him on that loan spell, I was really excited for him to, to, to come on us on a permanent deal. But Admittedly, the, the, probably the only doubts we really had of him was whether or not he'd ever be a, a goal scorer. But, you know, 15 goals in the Premier League from midfield, that's that's no mean feat. And you can see that he's making runs at good times. He's getting to the box for those pullbacks really intentionally. Like, obviously, we always knew he was a really intelligent player. We always knew he had the, that capacity. But it's just the um, the the final action quality in terms of goal scoring. That he just, it does feel like he's added to his game. And, and the goal yesterday, like... In, in a game that was open and bitty and chances happen at both ends, the first goal just feels so massive. And for him to pick the ball up where he did and put it into the bottom corner is such like a like like a captain's thing. It's this it's everything that, that as you say, like there's always a balance to it. Like he hasn't been perfect this season. He's deserved criticism at times, but it just feels like this is something that the captain does. The captain picks up the ball, he takes responsibility, he grabs the game by the scuff of the neck and he slams the ball in the bottom corner. But to, to be fair, like I think the overall the the team was fantastic. Um, like 
you know, you, you mentioned Xhaka for another person that gets some unfair criticism. And I think it's probably right to talk about the fact that he had the, the interview, the kind of ominous interview after the, the Newcastle away loss last season, where he said, if you're not ready for the game, then go home. And it was a very mixed response where some people kind of agreed with him and some people, um, I guess, were kind of like, you know, put your put your football where your mouth is. And I think this season, even like talk about season overall, he, he's done that. Like he's been fantastic all season. He's, his performance level has been probably beyond what anyone could really expect of him. And I think yesterday was a really kind of like, uh, it, it epitomized that, especially like, and, and the videos going around social media just on the challenge on Willock where he's pretty much in the final third for Newcastle and he starts sprinting back and doesn't stop. And in the end, he just he finds himself in the box at that perfect time just to slide in front of Willock and stop what could have easily have been 1-1. Um, so I think like, and, and to be fair, like the, the next thing I want to talk about is the, the substitutions at that moment because um, at times we've kind of lambasted Arteta for not making the right changes or maybe making the changes at the wrong time. Um, it did feel like there was a point around the 60th minute yesterday where you, you may, may remember it, Jacob Murphy kind of gets the ball and um, uh, just kind of sends Zinchenko spinning. Like he can't get him side on, his, uh, his body moves all wrong and he falls over and it almost ends up with the... Um, yeah, Isaac is supposed to Yeah. And in the sixth first, first minute, Tini comes on. And to be fair to Tini, he, um, uh, I think Xhaka kind of dropped back a bit after that and Tini kind of put in a pretty good defensive um, performance. And also I think when... Um, uh, Nelson and Ketia came on in the 87th minute. It was it was really helpful for us to see out the game because of the energy they had up top to chase people down and try and get on the ball. Uh, what did you like? Do, do you have an opinion on Arteta and substitutions? Because it does sense like it's a bit it's something that kind of fluctuates throughout the fan, fan base. Yeah, like how do you feel? Do you feel he does a good job at them? And, and what did you think of the subs yesterday? I think that he has uh, made a lot of mistakes with substitutes. Um, Maybe that's because he looks to his bench and doesn't see, you know, seven options the same way that Pep does that can come in and be, you know, no drop off from the first 11. But at the same time, I'd say Pep probably makes as few substitutions. You know, you rarely see Pep Guardiola change his side a lot, especially this season. You know, there are plenty of mainstays in his side. um, And I think he has more options to make those changes. But I think that he, Arteta has a lot of, room for growth he's an excellent coach you know he's an excellent coach but he's still in his first job and I think he's learning as much as we are about this team and what he can do and I think he saw like we did against Liverpool that Tierney and Kivior came on too late and he's preempted that this time around with the part the uh, addition of Tierney was perfectly timed this time around you know it basically snuffed out that right hand side threat that Newcastle had had for much of the game and it made us so much more solid defensively so I think that we need to give Arteta the benefit of the doubt sometimes as well because he is, you know, we, we people won't want to hear it, but he's, he's a young coach in his first job. He will make mistakes. The same can be said about potentially, you know, overplaying Rob Holding or anything else that he's done wrong in his time here. He's going to make mistakes, but the upside is so great and he is clearly improving as a coach and substitutions are something that I think have slowly been improving. I think last season they were much worse. This season they've been better, but not perfect. And Hopefully next season they're a lot better because yesterday's substitutions, as you say, were absolutely perfect for the game state and changing the game state in our favour. I think that's a good point, to be fair, is that it's not that people should ever expect Arteta to be perfect, but I think it's fair for us to expect him to learn along the way. And and kind of what you're saying there is is that he is learning. Like he saw 
that Zinchenko probably should have come off the earlier against Liverpool and he's reacted to that and made a really good sub at a really good time in this game that kind of was part of what kind of ebbed um, Newcastle's flow on that because there was a point uh, in around that kind of like five, ten minute period where it just felt like they were on us a lot and um, uh, and it kind of helped alleviate the pressure, which I think is like a, like a really good example. Um, uh, another one to talk about is Saka, who didn't get on the score sheet this game, like uh, we've kind of seen all, the, all season. But one thing I thought was really interesting about him is I saw that he is um, uh, the most for the on-ball defensive actions and most tackles in the entire game. So I just think that it says a lot when your star boy, your best player can come up with these big defensive performances away from home when you're coming into games like this. Because, I mean, Saka probably remembers last season as well. Like Odegaard calls it the 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 hardest part of his career. This is something that left a mark on these guys. And it was be it was really interesting to see how they were going to react to that mark. Um the last one I'll talk to you about in terms of just like kind of player performances in general is 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 Aaron Ramsdale because we've given him a lot of love um over the last kind of like month or so, but at the same time, you know, he had the mistake in Southampton. Um probably you could say that um there's some points in the last few games he should have saved stuff as well, like the the bow and go against West Ham perhaps. But um, yesterday he made big saves and not necessarily world-class saves, but just saves that in terms of importance were huge in terms of the result, like the, uh, the, the Shah header near the, um, the start of the second half that to be fair, like I think you expect him to save that. If you didn't save it, you'd call him out for it, but it's still that he needed to get that strong wrist behind it to get it away. And especially when you see that the goal De Gea conceded yesterday, it kind of puts that into a lot of perspective. Um, and now he has, 10 away clean sheets, which is double anyone else in the league. Um, uh, where do you think the the ceiling is for Aaron Ramsdale? Because I still think that we're waiting to be completely convinced by him that he can be a top keeper because we know what we can do his feet. And we know he has some really good days this season in terms of saving. Do you think that he'll ever be a top five goalkeeper in the world? I think he could be. I think there's a lot of work still to be done. I mean, last season especially... He had a few, I suppose, concentration errors or, you know, he lacked a little bit of being able to switch on for 90 minutes. And I think one thing you can say about this Arsenal side now is that if you're not on an upward trajectory and if you're not learning and improving, then you're going to be cut adrift because the chances that we don't bring in someone to, you know, compete with Ramsdale, if he sort of stagnates, is pretty high. He said the same thing about with Leno, you know. He had to earn his place with Leno, and I'm sure someone will come in and want to earn his place. So I think that there will always be... I always hope that there's some competition for places, especially even in goal, where, you know, a lot of the time you just see a first choice and a second choice. But um, I think Ramsdale has definitely improved this season. He's still still prone to the odd... He could have saved that, maybe, or whatever. But he does make a lot of... You can look at his highlight reel this season, and he's made some unbelievable saves. Um... And I think the most important thing about the ones that maybe he he pushes, like the one the one yesterday, for instance, the most important thing about that save is where he manages to get the ball. Like he gets such a strong wrist to it and gets it back out of the danger area, whereas some other keepers might get a wrist to it but straight back onto the onrushing um, Newcastle players, and then you take you make the chances of conceding much higher. You know, so I think that he's got a lot of work to do to be a top five goalie in the world, but he's he's what twenty four. He's been around for six seasons or whatever it is now. He's a baby. Yeah, exactly. He could play for another 10 years at the top level if he wanted to. Um, And he 
he is continuing to improve season upon season from his time at Sheffield United to his first season at Arsenal to this season at Arsenal. You just got to hope that with age and experience, maybe some ability to temper his. Because um, sometimes he likes to play on emotion, you know, which is, can work really well, and sometimes it feels like it doesn't. So if he can temper that a little bit or maybe channel it in the right ways um, and keep making these big saves, then there's no reason why he can't go to the very top. There's no reason why he can't be England's number one for the next World Cup, you know. Um, I think he's a really, really pr- promising goalkeeper, and that's, I suppose, the thing, because he's so good already, but you'd still consider him to be promising because of how young he is and how much room he's still got to grow. It's a really interesting point when you say um, England as well, because yes, they kind of taken out of the prism of what it was, which was a really important game for Arsenal and Newcastle. You could almost look at it as like um, kind of a peacocking match between kind of Pope and Ramsdale, because if um, uh, if Everton were to go down, per se, let's say there's already a few question marks over Pickford, even though he's been generally pretty, pretty good for England, right? And uh, I think we're at a point now where people are looking towards who could be the next England goalkeeper. They're looking at likes of Pope and Ramsdale. Yesterday, they both had really good performances. And I thought it was really interesting to hear Shea Given on Sky say afterwards when he was kind of posed the question, who do you think's the goalkeeper for England? He said um, like that because of his kicking, you'd probably go with Ramsdale. But I think that we know about Ramsdale's kicking, as we were saying before. The fact that he was able to kind of match Pope for a shot-stopping contest felt like a like a big thing for Ramsdale because I mean I don't know about you like like maybe this is the question I ask you do, do you think that Southgate is going to keep Pickford in, in the England team if Everton was to go down is he going to put a championship keeper in there I think for um, Southgate one thing we've learned about Southgate over the four years is uh, good or bad he is very loyal to the players that he thinks served him well and he doesn't seem to drop players based on club form very often you know seen with Maguire um coming into that side and I think Pickford does suit this England side because they don't try and play in the same sort of pretty passing patterns that Arsenal do um so you don't need a goalkeeper that's great with their feet I think that if we were to get another manager that were to integrate maybe more of a passing style you know I mean you maybe bring in the likes of Gwehi and Tamori and Stones again um it feels like the natural progression would be to like, like, you know, it's like a Leno to Ramsdale upgrade with Pickford to Ramsdale. It's not quite as drastic, but you know, that would be the natural progression, but I don't see how Ramsdale gets into the side. Um, otherwise, like I don't, I don't see Southgate dropping Ramsdale because he is, uh, uh, sorry, dropping Pickford because he's in the championship. I just don't think his brain quite works like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Southgate's weird. We can um, agree on that. Then the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably the, the last thing I want to ask is it's similar to what I was saying in the intro right is that it's in Man City's hands they know that they have to do what Man City have done over the last few years which is have, have really strong showings in the, the last part of the season and, and they'll you know the, the, the odds are they're going to win the title but I do think that that result yesterday City players would have assumed the Arsenal that we've seen over the last month drop points there and that's because everyone drops points there do you know what I mean like they had only lost one game and I think it um I can't remember exactly what game there was but like they've lost one game at St James Park before yesterday so this is a team that doesn't lose at St James Park really and they didn't lose against Man City at St James Park so I think that a lot of the Man City players would have won on that game and kind of said you know this this could be the point that we can really cut Arsenal adrift but instead that we latched onto them like we, we're still there um so 
I don't want to ask you a question as basic as is it still on or do you still believe that there's a chance or something? But if you're a betting man, right, would you think that putting like a like a tenner or fifteen quid on Arsenal would be a good bet at this point in time? No. Um <laughs> I wish I wish I could say yes. I mean <laughs> you get great returns. But I think the problem I have is that City need to drop points twice for Arsenal to be in control mm. of this race. Um, that is true. And I can see them dropping points once, you know. They've got tough fixtures. Everton away, Brighton away, Brentford away, Chelsea at home. I mean, Chelsea at home should be an easy win, but um, they've got the two Real Madrid games as well. It just feels like asking them to drop points twice in a season where they very rarely drop points and on a run in which, you know, they've I don't, I don't I can't even tell you how many points they've dropped since Christmas, um, but it's not very many. So I think that that is a step too far. If I was saying, do you do I? If the question was, do I think one of Brighton, Brentford, and Everton could get a result? I'd I'd put money on that, but I don't think that two of them will. If that makes sense, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, if I'm being honest, right? I think it depends. I think the Everton game is quite important, right? Because as you said, they need to drop points twice, which is a big expectation of uh, of this City team, especially in the form they're in right now. But I think that if they were to get around Madrid, have a tough game, um, go play Everton away um, in a game where Everton are fighting for their lives, and Everton only, they'll, they'll, I mean, they'll, they'll take a point like like it's um, like it's kind of gold placed in their hands, you know. So if they were to somehow not beat Everton which isn't impossible because I think if you've looked at as good as their run has been, they have looked a little bit fragile at times in the last few games. And I think that's probably partially down to tiredness where they've had to kind of rotate people here and there. They're going to have to take a full shape team to, to, um, when they play the first leg of uh, the Real Madrid tie because they know that Madrid have like a big hoodoo in the Champions League. And Pep knows that at this point in time, the Premier League is the secondary focus for Man City because he's he was brought there to win the Champions League and it's the one trophy he hasn't won yet as a Man City manager. So I still think that even though they've got an incredible squad with depth and and quality and form, which is obviously like, you know, one of the hardest things you can overcome when someone has kind of like almost the, the perfect spectrum of what a team should be at the right point of the season. I do think that Everton are a threat and if Everton can take a point from them, then suddenly, you know, as experienced as they are, it's impossible for the, you know the little doubts to creep in like oh you know we only have to drop one more game especially when they've got like another seven games this month yeah. which is pretty it's... mad and you know they've got like Brentford away's tough game as you said Brighton away is a tough game Brighton could be fighting for European places at that point maybe in Brentford are fighting for Europe European places at that point I don't think that it's likely but I just think that mm. you know if the pendulum swings a little bit then you know the pressure suddenly on yeah, I think. Um... Just to put a little bit of a nail in your coffin, I'm just uh, watching the Brighton-Everton game and Everton have just taken the lead. So um, that's doubly bad for Arsenal when it comes to Manchester City's opponents because, you know, Everton will have less to fight for and uh, Brighton might too. So I think it, I think there's a lot still to play for, even though there's only four games left. But I can't see City, break, City dropping points twice. I think they would have to drop points against Everton for me to be, have any hope because I can't see them dropping points mm-hmm. in consecutive games. Like they don't. Yeah. Like it's not like Arsenal from last season where if we lost once, we, you know, go on those three-game losing runs and then put together eight unbeaten or whatever it was. 
it's more like C- mm. City would just bounce back. So I think that I, d- I don't have any faith in Chelsea, so they're out the, out the question. Um, and I have very little faith, well, very little faith in any of them, to be honest. But if I think Everton would need to take something from City at Goodison to make it, to give me any hope whatsoever. Otherwise, I'd say, you know, they need three points from Brenton, Brentford and Brighton. And they, I think they definitely manage that. Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, all we can do, and, you know, we've got a few hard games coming up, to be fair. I, I still think that the the Forest away game is a game obviously we should win, but it's a tricky tie. Like, the, we have to be perfect now to have any chance. We yeah. know that. We have to stay in the mix. We have to stay grabbing onto them. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a shame in the sense that, you know, because this is our first 80 plus point season since 2008. So this has been an incredible season. It's amazing that we've got something to fight for. The fact that we're still in the mix at this point in the season is, is great. It's, it's such a shame that it's not in our own hands like it was a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, all we can do is stick around and try and be as, as annoying as possible. And, you know, if the, uh, if the door opens, then, you know, make sure we get through it. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about a 90 point season? You know, is that in amongst the, um, heartache of it not being a Premier League winning season I mean it's hard not to see the massive progress we've made and then the potential for more progress to be made this summer don't you think a 90 point season would be pretty crazy right yeah I mean, we've only done it once and I think we went invincible so you know. <laughs> yeah I mean it, it, we kind of go into that Liverpool role don't we where you know it's, it's it feels crazy to the fact that we could get a 90 point season and not win the league mm. and Liverpool have been saying that for the last like for, for the majority of the last five years where they've played at such a high level, but, you know, sit just the, the benchmark that City set are crazy. But at the same time, you know, the fa- if we were able to get a 90-point season, that doesn't go unnoticed in the world of football. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the the fact that we've now, it feels like we've instilled a winning mentality where when we draw a game now, you know, we're, we're very, like, um, we're, we're very, like, almost abusive of, of ourselves. We look at our own performances in a different way now where it used to be um, uh, back in the Uno Emery days, We'd, you know, concede, um, uh, you know, 15 shots on target, come away with maybe a 2-1 and be like, oh, okay, good. We came away <laughs> with a 2-1 there. Like, that, that's, that's pretty Do you good. think, um, whereas for, you know, you were saying about us taking the role in Liverpool, I think that we might have a slightly different... I think we might have a better built squad than Liverpool um, come the end of the summer compared to how they were because I think that they had more single points of failure. You know, that they got... Not mm. fortunate, but you know they weren't particularly injury ridden apart from that season where they really were and finished fourth. Um, and I think that like if we can get in a right centre back that isn't a massive drop off from William Saliba, if we can get in a right winger that isn't an absolutely massive drop off from Bakaya Saka, you know, and if we have more options of versatility, then I think we could be in a really good spot. And I think Liverpool maybe didn't quite capitalise on that um, for one reason or another. You know, they tried to bring in like Naby Keita and Oxley Chamberlain, and it just felt like they got their later recruitment slightly wrong. Whereas we have, I suppose that's a that's a worry because now we're top. We don't have room for error. You know, we can't spend fifty million on, um, I don't know, Martin Zubamendi and decide he's the wrong player to bring in, and we should have bought someone else in, and <laughs> he goes for free five years later, and we buy someone else. You know, we don't have that sort of luxury. We're not Chelsea or Man City in that regard. We have to be much more precise and accurate with our squad building which i think is the next big part because so far we've managed that you know it's hard to think of any failures in the uh in the most more recent 
Arteta and Edu period. It's just about continuing that now. I think a big thing when we're comparing us with Liverpool is that the bulk of our squad feels like it's at a younger age than Liverpool were when they were at this point of their of their development, yeah. where they bought a lot of players around the age of kind of like 25, 26, and they kind of took a few years to bed. And now you're looking at the likes of Van Dijk, who's kind of had a season where it feels like he's dropped off a bit, and Fabinho's dropped off a bit. And I think Robertson's in his late 20s now, and, and Salah is in his early 30s. And they had Mane that was in his early 30s, and then they sold him, and now they're trying to find a new balance there. So I, I do think that even though we've got a few players like... Um, like Xhaka and Party that have been pretty mainstays and it looks like we're going to be trying to replace them. Obviously, it's very important that we place them well with the right players, but it feels like other than that kind of centre midfield, which feels like is going to be the big focus of our transfer window, we um, uh, the rest of the players feel very young. Like KBJ Zeus is very is still like kind of mid-20s. Zinchenko's mid-20s. Saka and Martinelli, which have been our kind of like two of our big players, are still early 20s. Odegaard's 24. You know, these are like Saliba and Gabriel could be playing for us for the next like eight years yeah. and, and still be like both of them be in their prime. Um, so it does feel like we have gone a slightly different route than Liverpool. Yeah, and the players, of buying, the players we're linked you know, with are quite young. As well. I mean, Declan Rice is, what, 23, 24. Caicedo is 21. Like, it feels like we're much more maybe willing to spend the big money on Prem-proven young talent. Um. And we, of course, we don't know what the outgoings are going to be this summer. We, you know, we might lose Smith Rowe and Tierney and Balogun, and or you know, uh, obviously Patino wants to go. We might end up losing a midfielder or whatever, and we might have to balance the books in that regard. But it does feel like Arsenal are much willing to go, much more willing to be like, here's seventy million for a player that we know already is excellent in the Premier League. Whereas it felt like Liverpool didn't do that for, I guess, financial reasons. Mm. But you know, it's hard to think of. Premier League proven players they bought after that uh, Robertson and Vinealdum sort of period. Yeah, and uh, and obviously it's just it feels like we're on such a like a wave right now where it feels like Arteta and Edu and the club and the fans everything's kind of aligned. It feels like we kind of know like we, even though we don't know what we can do in the summer, we can kind of feel it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's not yeah. something that's a mystery. Like we know the, where we're going to go. We probably know like the kind of money we're going to invest. And it just feels like come next season, I don't think we're going to go away to be honest. I, oh, I don't see it. If I don't see how we could. Yeah. If, if we're smart, then I think we can get close to city, but obviously it's, it's such a, yeah. Such a I mean, if, if we, if we sign Declan Rice next this summer, that's an, a massive upgrade immediately. I mean, I think he put in another excellent performance uh, last night against United, but you know, he's a massive upgrade. If we sign another midfielder, that's just more, you know, cherry on the top. Uh, sign a right centre-back, then we're not playing holding for five games. You know, all of a sudden, those <laughs> points of failure that we have become, you know, those windows become smaller and smaller. And that's what we need. And it's, you know, I think, I don't see how people think this team will go away. And it's true that Liverpool might strengthen and Chelsea might strengthen, United might strengthen, Newcastle might strengthen, City might strengthen. But, it's, it's like overlooking the fact that Arsenal have such a young squad and will strengthen it personnel-wise. Like it just for me that seems such a redundant argument. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, people have been underestimating us for a while now, and I think that you know it just feels stupid to continue doing it. Um, I think this is that's a good time to leave it. Um, uh, such a brilliant game, such an important three points. It takes us into that last part of the season. We've like. Finally, we've got momentum back. Finally, we've kind of got that bravery and that style of playback. Um, uh, 
and you know thanks for listening uh this far in we've got um uh, the brighton game this weekend we're gonna have a, a match preview up for the for the brighton game um probably around wednesday or thursday so please check for that uh, my name is luke you can find me on twitter at echo and i've been joined by ben you can find on twitter at ben browning free this has been the bruised banana fc podcast and thanks so much for listening goodbye Erdogan is joining in and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the wrist and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Oh,